FM, online and on your smartphone. This is Burns FM News. You're listening to Scottish Radio News. I'm Chloe Gardner and I'm here with your news updates. Young people misbehaving on public transport may have their bus passes suspended under proposals being considered by the Scottish Government. Fiona Hislop says she's asked officials to look into whether it would be possible to digitally block people from using their national entitlement cards if they're abusing the scheme. The Transport Minister said the majority of people using their bus pass are doing so responsibly, but for those causing disruption on the country's buses, she would see whether they could be suspended from the scheme. Police are looking for the culprits who slashed the curtains of 30 lorries in just an hour and a half. Officers say the instance across the A74M on Friday morning followed a spate of attempted thefts across three service stations on the motorway. Police Scotland was called out to Abington Services in Bigger, South Lanarkshire, at around 1.30am after a lorry driver was threatened by a group of men. A quantity of alcohol was taken from his vehicle between 12am and 1am. The men then left in a lorry with a white cab and it's believed they headed south on the A74M. The closure of a chemical plant in Grangemouth is set to put hundreds of jobs at risk. GMB Scotland said the closure of the Versalis plant in Bowness Road will put 135 jobs at direct risk, along with many more agency and contract staff. The news comes after Petronios announced it would be closing the town's oil refinery, creating the potential loss of around 400 jobs. Drivers are being urged to plan ahead as bridge repairs in 10 weeks of lane closures begin at Paisley Gilmer Street Station in January. Network Rail will repair girders on the underside of the bridge at the station to strengthen the structure and extend its lifespan by another 25 years. The work will begin on January 4th and will finish on March 14th. As a part of the 500k programme, engineers will complete the work during night shift hours, 10pm to 6am on Sundays to Thursdays and 10pm to 8am on Saturdays. A traffic management plan and associated signage has been agreed with the local authority and will be in place during this time. Everyone in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire will be offered free weekend bus travel through the month of January, with bus bosses saying the controversial city bus gates are to thank. There was a wave of outrage and a petition launched which was signed by thousands of people when the new measures on Bridge Street, Guild Street and Market Street were launched earlier this year. But First and Stagecoach, who run the majority of services in the region, said the measures led to savings for the firms which will now be passed on to customers. In a statement released to the press from both companies, they said the bus gates were already speeding up journey times for over 600,000 people each month in the city centre. And the offer is also aimed at encouraging city centre footfall during a month when costs are traditionally tight. That's all from me. I'm Chloe Gardner and you've been listening to Scottish Radio News. Merns FM weather with Ace Competitions. This is today's weather on Mearns FM. Today will be mild and cloudy with Mearns FM weather with Ace Competitions. Head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram for more information. Mearns FM weekend sponsored by Ace Competitions. Win life-changing prizes, cars, cash, luxury holidays and more with Ace Competitions. Starting at just 25 pence an entry, we have something for everyone. Ace prizes, ace prices, ace odds. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or enter online now at www.acecompetitions.co.uk. All participants must be 18 years or over. BeGambleAware.co.uk
Welcome to this worship service provided by Abuthnut, Bervie and Kniff Church. If you would like to find out more about us or support us in our ministry, then you can search for us online, on Facebook and on YouTube by searching for ABK Church. We pray that this service will be a blessing to you. together in prayer and we'll close with the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, how good it is not only to sing your praise here in this place, but we rejoice that the voices here are joined with your people in every corner of the world, that our voices are joined with the choirs and angels praising you around your throne in heaven. Our voices join with all of creation as it bursts out in praise declaring that you are a great God, a majestic King, a God whose love for creation bursts over the banks, transforming hearts and souls and minds, turning people from darkness and making them into your children of love and light. Gracious God, you have set eternity on our hearts, and we thank and praise you that because of Jesus, we can enter that paradise of eternity one day because of his grace. And even today we can come near to your throne, filled with confidence. Because even though we know ourselves to have fallen short of your perfect standards, through Jesus every sin is forgiven, fully forgiven, because of his life, death and resurrection for us.
Lord, today many of us might come with burdens and many with joy. But we pray that those who come with sorrow would be drawn to the place where we know you as the one who binds up our wounds. And if we come with joy and celebration in our hearts, may we know you as the one who is a giver of all good gifts and blessings. God of mercy, draw us close to you this morning, from the youngest to the oldest, those with full faith and those with just a tiny little drop. As we read your word, as we read it, sing it, listen to it, and then respond to it in taking the bread and wine later, help us to be filled with awe and love for you all over again. For we pray as the people of Jesus, and in his name, and in his words we say together, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen. I read this passage of scripture I just want to share something briefly with you and that is that before Andrew came to be our minister the Reverend Mel Griffiths was our moderator and I think the last time he preached here he preached from this same passage Andrew and I was reading it <laughs> so it seems as if I've um, drawn the short straw again but um, Thank you very much for the audio link. Andrew very kindly sent through an audio link so I could listen to it and hopefully get all the names correct. I'm going to read it very slowly. This actually is the start of the New Testament from Matthew's Gospel and it's a very important passage 
Now, I'm really looking forward to what you've got to say, Andrew. So let's hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Je Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Josam, Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eliazah. Eliazah, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. May the Lord bless to us the reading from his word. Amen. Let's be honest, who zoned out during that? Because that's honestly what we'd be tempted to do when we come to a bit of the Bible, a bit like this. There's a 
this genealogy, this list of names here in the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. There's one in Luke's Gospel. And large parts of the Old Testament, there's chapter after chapter of just the list of the tribes and who's in each tribe and who had children and whose children they were and so on. And when we come to sections like that in the Bible, I'm sure I'm not alone when I'm so easily tempted to skip over altogether and just see the list and go, right, next chapter or even next page altogether. But when we're doing that, be careful. Because then sometimes in the midst of all of these, some great ideas for baby names. So if your children or grandchildren are ever having some kids, turn back to Matthew chapter 1 and see some great names in there. But most of us aren't into genealogies, especially not someone else's genealogy. So you might think it odd that Matthew begins his story of Christmas and the story of Jesus and all that he was about to do and lead off this amazing account with what seems like a pretty weak opening page, a genealogy. But it's the reason he does that. Because in, in this chapter, in that list of what seems like dry, dusty, boring names, is everything you and I need to know about Christianity. All the essentials are there. Matthew's trying to teach us something amazing through this list of names. And the first is this. The gospel is not good advice, it's good news. Most stories begin with something like, once upon a time, or somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, or something along these kind of lines. But Matthew doesn't begin the story of Jesus like that. He starts out with a history record. He starts out with a list of names. His friend, Jesus, family tree. And so his way of you know, what he's basically doing there is saying, what I'm about to tell you through the next 20 or chapters is what really happened. It's about a real person in real time in a real place. Because the most important aspect of Christianity is that it's actually history. Because it's at the core of our faith is not a set of principles that Jesus taught us, but what Jesus did for us. So other religions, or most other religions, when you peel back the layers, they are built on principles and teachings that would still be, I guess, true for that religion, regardless of who the founder was. The founder was just a mouthpiece for what teachings of that religion is. So for instance, for Buddhists, the man called Siddhartha Gautama, the man who became the Buddha, it didn't have to be Siddhartha Gautama. It could have been Bob or Janice or anyone else who discovered Buddhism and Buddhism would still be Buddhism. For Islam, it didn't have to be Muhammad who heard from Allah. It could have been, again, Bob or Janice or anyone else who heard from Allah and wrote it down Muslims might have the Quran. But that's not the case for Christianity. Because Christianity is not based upon a set of teachings, it's based upon a set of events. A real person, real places, real time. The core of our faith is not what Jesus taught us, but what he did for us. So when you read the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you notice something. They're all a prelogue to what is actually really important the final week of the life of Jesus. John gives over 43% of his book to the final week of the life of Jesus. He skims over 30 odd years of life, three years of teaching to give nearly 45% of the book to one week of the life of Jesus. To focus on the fact that Jesus would go to the cross to bear the penalty for our sin and die in our place and rise again. Now, of course, the Bible teaches us a lot about what Jesus taught. We looked a few weeks ago at the Sermon on the Mount. 
But the gospel at the centre of it is not about what Jesus teaches us, but about what he did for us. The gospel is not good advice. It's an announcement of good news. Famously, the story of the angels calling out to the shepherds in Bethlehem. What do they say? The teacher is here. Sit down and listen. No, they don't. They say the saviour is here. That's why it's good news. We're not going to be instructed. We're going to be rescued. And God became the saviour for us by entering into history and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And when we believe and trust in that, our lives are changed. Not because of what Jesus taught us, but because of what he did. And so the most important thing about the gospel, about the good news, is that it must be believed and received like a gift. And which means that if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian if you're simply just following the rules and the teachings of Jesus, even if you do them really, really well. Because it's not about following Jesus' teachings, it's about trusting in what Jesus did and living as a result. The core of Christianity is not teachings to be followed, but a gift to be received because a real person did something for you, not taught to you. It's good news not just good advice. And secondly, the genealogy shows us that Jesus is the centre of history. So Matthew takes what the world might see as an insignificant family tree and organises all of human history around it. Now at the time, Jesus and his family tree would not have seemed like the focal point of history. Israel at that time, I guess like today, was a small, tiny little country in the Middle East. And at that time, it was under the rule of somebody else. Nobody in Rome was paying attention to Jesus' ancestors. But God had made a promise to Abraham. One day I'm going to bring salvation to the whole world through one of your children. That man would be called Jesus. And so at this time of history, you've got all these competing nations, the Romans and various others, who are all trying to be king and boss over the world. But Matthew is saying God is behind it all, moving the chess pieces of history to make sure that the family tree of Jesus would end up with Jesus. Because it's all about him. All the powers of the world are like an illusion. So, famously again, the story of Mary and Joseph ending up in Bethlehem at the right time. Mary's pregnant for only a short period, for nine months. And she's only going to be giving birth for an even shorter period. But God moved the dials of history in order that he might fulfill a verse from the prophet Micah 500 years before that Jesus would be born at the right time, that a pregnant woman would arrive in Bethlehem at the right time to fulfill that prophecy. And here's why it's encouraging to us. When we look around the world right now, it might not look like Jesus is the centre of history. After all, BBC News, Sky News, ITV News are not here this morning thinking about Jesus. Instead, they're watching the world financial markets. They're watching the door of 10 Downing Street to see who goes in and out. They're watching the story of world politics. But in the story of God, those things are tiny. The centre of history is what God has done and is doing through Jesus. And what he's doing in through his kingdom around the world. Now, there's been times where I have watched a series on TV, perhaps in catch-up on um, iPlayer or something similar or on a DVD... And you get to the end of the first series and it looks like the main character has died. They've fallen off a cliff. 
There's been a big explosion. They've been shot and left out in the middle of nowhere. Surely season two will be a new character who comes to the forefront. But then before you begin to watch season two, you catch a glimpse of an advert saying, watch season two, watch season three. And you see that main character alive and well. They're walking down the streets. They're fighting the baddies, whatever it might be. And so you go to watch season two and you know fine well. Whatever happened at the end of season one, the main character's clearly not dead. They're going to pull through. Things are okay. And the same is true in our life. We might look around the world and think that, like that main character, the world is falling off a cliff. That God has lost control. But we know the end the last few weeks we've been looking at the story of heaven. God has got the whole of the world in his hands. If he can move the dial piece of history to bring around Jesus, he can change our life behind the scenes. Whatever the world might throw at us, we know that God's plans will not fail. Ask God for eyes to see what he's doing in history. And linked to that is number three. That God is working in all things, the good, the bad and the ugly, for his purposes. Now, Margaret read for us that list of um, 40 odd names. But when you get to grips with some of these names, it's quite amazing what God is going to do through all of them. This list is a who's who of the good, the bad and the ugly of God's people. But despite it, God's going to do some great things. For the Messiah is coming. So some of the names you might recognize, others you won't recognize. And some of the names you recognize might be the good names. People like Abraham, who follows God into the unknown, trusting in him when there wasn't a church, there wasn't a synagogue to go and learn from. God speaks to him and says, Abraham, follow me. Abraham says, fine, I'll do that. Or we come to a list halfway down of a list of kings of Judah. There's two of them, like Asa and Jehoshaphat, who the Bible tells us removed idolatry from their kingdom. They brought justice, peace to the world. They sought the Lord all of their life. Or King Hezekiah, the best king of all. His, the king before him said, you can't go and worship God. They closed the temple. He said, you cannot worship our God. We worship false gods in our kingdom. When King Hezekiah came to the throne, he said, no more. Let's open wide the gates. Let's go and worship God again. Or people like Zerubbabel, who rebuild the temple after it's destroyed. Or Joseph, who adopts Jesus as his son. He protects his wife Mary from shame. They're the good kind of folk, and God's going to use them. But also, there's the bad kind of folk. We meet people like King Solomon, who, yes, he was wise, but clearly not that wise. He had hundreds of wives and girlfriends, totally rejecting what God says about relationships, sex, and marriage. Or Rahab, who was a prostitute at one time. Or a number of kings who God says were filled with pride and arrogance. But yet God is going to work through all of them to bring around the Messiah. God can use the bad. And then it's the downright ugly. Some of the kings that we have listed here were absolutely evil. Not only did they not worship God, they made people worship false gods. They practiced evil things. So for instance, we meet a, a king called Jehoram in verse 8. The Bible tells us he killed all six of his brothers in order that none of them or their children could come to the throne. We meet a king called Manasseh. He burns his child upon a fire to worship a false god. 
And we also see the, the story or the mention of a woman called Tamar in verse 3. Why is she mentioned? Well, it's to remind the people who know their Bibles quite well of a story in Genesis chapter 38. So Tamar is married to a man, but he does not leave her any children. He dies before she falls pregnant. And the custom back then was that if you were married to a man and he dies without leaving you a child, his brothers, if he had any, were to marry you in order that you might continue that family line. And so um, Tamar gets married to son number two, but number two does not fancy her. And so he doesn't, to put it politely, seal the deal. And she does not fall pregnant. And God strikes him down because he does not do what he should. Now Tamar's father-in-law Judah is now scared. He's only got three sons. He's lost two. He says, Tamar, you're not marrying number three. So Tamar plots a revenge. Tamar knows that her father-in-law loves a prostitute. Or loves going to visit prostitutes. So she dresses up as one. And Judah, parcel to prostitutes, ends up lusting after her and sleeps with her. She commits, she commits incest of her father-in-law in order to fall pregnant. Or David, who famously causes the murder of his army general Uriah and forcefully brought his wife Bathsheba over to his home in order to sleep with her. Now many of us have difficult families. None of us have families like that. But yet God is going to work through that ugliness of murder, of incest, of all these kind of corrupt people to bring around Jesus. And it might seem that God is absent in your life, but he's working through all. Some of us, as I say, have messy, dysfunctional families, and God can work through even that. Some of us have lives that are messy and dysfunctional, and God's not pleased with that mess or that pain or that hurt. He's angry that you have been hurt. But God's not abandoned you. He can work through all of that mess, all of that junk, all of the darkness of your personal and family history to bring around goodness, blessing, joy and peace in the future. He can take my messy, chaotic life and yours too. And he says, I've stamped my perfect plan upon it all. Romans 8, 28 famously says, all things work together for good. And you know the next verse? For those who know him and love him. If you know and follow God, you're not abandoned, you're not alone. God can work in and through your mess. His plan will come to pass. You will not be abandoned. And lastly, the gospel, we find out, is good news for the outsider. Now, if you're a Jewish person, particularly back then, your family history was your CV. Your heritage was how you showed the world how important you were, how worthwhile you were. And so back then, like today, CVs were fudged in order to show off the best parts of you and omit the nasty details. Come on, we've all done that in our CVs or a job interview. We've forgotten about the bad stuff, only told and shown off the good stuff. So King Herod who was around at the time of Jesus, did that very thing. He published his genealogy in order to make the people love him and follow him. But he took out his bad and worthless kind of ancestors, showing off only the best of the best, in order that folk might go, oh, that was a great king, that was a great wise man. No wonder, Herod, you're on the throne. So genealogies were like CVs, showing off the best side of us. 
But yet we've seen that Jesus willingly allows the worst of the worst to be included in his. And then we notice that he includes four women other than Mary in his family tree. And why is that surprising? After all, there's lots of mums that must have been. And the grandfathers and the, the great-grandfathers. And yet these four women and Mary are also included in this tree. And look at the list of who we see. As I say, we mentioned Tamar, who committed incest. Rahab, who's a prostitute from an enemy nation. Ruth, she also comes from an enemy nation, yet, but yet becomes into the family of Jesus. And Bathsheba, who was raped. Jesus' line is filled with moral outsiders, ethnic outsiders, Gentiles, and gender outsiders, women. And it's all supposed to send us a message. Jesus came for even the likes of these, for the outcast and the stranger. He was not ashamed to identify with the outcasts as their brother and make them part of his family. And as you read that list or you heard that list being read to us, you might have gone, I don't know those names. And no wonder. About a third of the list of names here mentioned are found nowhere else in the Bible. No one talks about Jacob's, um, about Joseph's dad, sorry, or his grandfather or great-grandfather up about six or seven generations. Nowhere else in the Bible is mentioned. And what's that saying to us? If you're an unknown and the world doesn't know you, you too can be part of the family of Jesus. Because let's be honest, most of us, a hundred or so years after we die, no one will know us. No one will remember us. Most of us will not have a Wikipedia page. Most of us will not have people remembering us for centuries to come. But yet we get to be part of the family of Jesus too. So Abraham and David are mentioned in the same list as a prostitute rehab because in Jesus Christ, prostitutes and kings sit down together at the banquet table as equals. That's a message for you and for me. All these names are included in that line to show that you and I can be included in the line that leads from Jesus. For Jesus says from the guttermost to the uttermost, prince or pauper, prostitute or politician, those who history knows and those who history will forget, whoever you are, grace and mercy enough for us. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from, there is room in the family for you. You might feel like an outcast, but you're not. Jesus has brought you close. You might feel worthless, but God has purchased you with his most valuable possession, his son. You might think God's plans for you are over because your sin is too great. No, the plan of the genealogy shows that they've just begun. If God can be at work in these ugly situations to bring around the good news, then he can go through your ugliness of life to bring it into beauty and glory. So here's all you need to know about Christianity. Jesus comes as a gift, doing something for you that you could not do for yourself. He wins a battle against your sin, against my sin, to pay the debt for us. Have you received him? Jesus is the focal point of history. Have you come to know him? that's what God's trying to say to us in our pain and in our struggles he's trying to get us to see that life is fragile that no matter what brings us joy here on earth it will not sustain beyond the grief you are made for something so much more 
There is a love, there's a joy, there's a hope, there's a peace. From outside this world it's trying to say, turn to me, receive me and find hope in my name. The name of Jesus. Jesus is the centre of history. And at the time when we go to heaven, all the minor actors of history will take a seat. The only one who will receive the applause will be Jesus. History is all about him. For history is ultimately his story. And he calls out to you and me by name. He says, lay down your life. Give up your sin. Turn to me and receive from me everlasting life. Now too often we make life all about ourselves. We think it's all about me or all about you. And Jesus says this Christmas to us, give up the fight. Turn to me and find rest. Come to me, says Jesus, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you don't have to earn God's love. You receive God's love like a gift. In the same way that in three weeks' time, you will get gifts at Christmas. You don't have to pay that person back. You don't have to do lots of things in order to get the gift. You just get given the gift. You unwrap it and you receive it. So quit striving. Quit worrying. Receive the gift of Jesus. You don't have to prove yourself. The approval of God has already been given to you. God could not be more affectionate towards you than he is right now. That, blew, that should blow you away. God just sees me right now, even though my life is messy. Hopefully not as messy as some of these characters. But even if it was, God accepts you as you are. And he says, turn to me and I will change your life. And I will give you life and joy and hope forever. Don't bear the weight of guilt upon your shoulders. Come to Jesus, the shepherd and friend. Come to Jesus, the protector and provider. And rest in him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He offers rest to you at Christmas. That's what we all need. Have you received him? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You too can join the family tree of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that even... And what seems like a bit of a dry and dusty list of names, there is good news for us. Good news that no matter who we are, what we've done, where we've come from, we too can be included in the family of Jesus. Lord, some of us come here today filled with guilt and with shame. We recognise we keep on falling into the same patterns of sin we recognise we've not trusted in you as we should have. But Lord, thank you that you accept us as we are. And we pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds. That we would trust in you and follow you this Christmas. And so receive your gift of love and life forever. We thank you, God, that no one here, that no one listening or watching is an outcast to you. But they can be included in your family that they can receive the greatest gift of all this Christmas. Your amazing, overwhelming, outstanding and outrageous grace. Help us all to trust in that this Christmas, to receive it and be changed as a result. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Communion, we're going to, um, Jim's going to lead us in a time of prayer.
some words from the prophecy of Micah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Let's pray together. On this first Sunday in Advent, we offer our praise to the one who has promised peace. In Gaza and wider Palestine and Israel, lives are at this moment being destroyed. Little children and older people are the victims of war, an unrest that they didn't ask for but have been caught up in. Our prayer for them this morning is that they would know something of peace. Not simply the peace that those who come from warring backgrounds would offer, but a peace that lodges deep in the heart and in the mind. In the Ukraine and in Russia, we recognise similar areas of unrest and pain. Ordinary people like us, caught up in things that they don't understand and unsure which way to turn. Our Father, we pray today for peace there. That a breakthrough might take place, a miraculous breakthrough. As you sent Jesus into the world, he came as one who was involved in miracles. Things that people didn't understand. So we pray for a breakthrough. And here in our own community and church, I'm sure there is much unrest. Where people forget one another and say things that they ought not to. When we get caught up in conflict and we're not sure what to do about it. We ask for forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't come because all too often we ask on the surface. We pray, Father, for peace. Advent God, we praise you. The God who comes, you are not remote from the world you have made, but each day you come to us. 
Bless us with your promised peace. Grant us the grace to welcome your coming. Inflame your love to yearn for your peace. Enlarge our vision to recognize your coming day by day. We greet you, Advent God. Lord Jesus Christ, your world awaits you. Amen. Just as we, as Jim was praying there for peace for the world and for us, um, just in case folk don't know, the reason that we've got another tree up here with some um, gift tags on it is yesterday we had our um, annual Time to Remember service, or service of healing and hope, where we invited those who came, and we'll have one next year, you're very welcome to come, who have any hurts, whether um, grief or other things, to we encourage folk to, to write a, a gift tag and with whatever hurt it is. I miss so-and-so that passed away, or my family's in turmoil, or I'm ill and I'm not, no longer able to do what I once did. So those hurts and pains, we bring them to God. And so it's a reminder, week by week, as we gather here, to pray for. We might not know the names of those who are on the tree and what they've written for, but a reminder, people are hurting this Christmas period, and maybe many of us are hurting this Christmas period. So maybe you, may you pray this Christmas for peace for the world, for yourself, and for others. Before we share um, together in the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing together, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Brothers and sisters, we gather at the Lord's table. Jesus welcomes all who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. This table is for you, you who have been forgiven through faith in Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're part of God's family, then I encourage you to take the bread and the wine, thanking Jesus for all that he has done for you. Thank him for that everlasting life that's yours because of his mercy and grace. Come to the table not because you must, but because you can. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own that gives you a right to come, but because you recognize that I need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little, but you would like to love him more. Come because he first loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Jesus, for we are his body. Luke records that very first Lord's Supper. He says, when the hour came, Jesus and his friends reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup of wine, he gave thanks and said, Take it and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God arrives. Then he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to each of them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup of wine is a new promise between God and people, sealed by my blood, and it's poured out for you. As the Lord Jesus gave thanks, let us too give thanks. Let's pray. Our gracious King and Heavenly Father, you're the giver of all good gifts. Streams upon streams of goodness and blessing overflow our life. You've taken us in our sin and darkness. You've made us beloved children. And we thank you for the honour it is to know you and worship you. We bless you for your holy word, for the fellowship of God's people, for the joy of singing your praise, for the sweet moments of prayer with you, our God and friend. We thank you for the bread and wine which bring us closer to you. May you increase our love for you through all of eternity. For we thank you for Jesus who took upon himself our evil and sin, so that our sin could be destroyed and forgotten, not just for a moment, but forever and forever. We bless you for his great love, praise you for that sacrifice. We thank you for the forgiveness, for the love, the joy, the peace we find in you. May you receive our joyful thanks. For we pray these things in the great name of Jesus, our friend and saviour, God and King. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was handed over to be crucified for your sin and for my sin, he gathered with his friends as we gather as friends today. He took some bread and wine as we take it now. And he took that bread and he, he broke it and he said... This is my body, given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine, 
And I said, the wine in this is like my blood is going to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Whenever you drink it, remember me. So we're going to pass the bread round. We're going to pass the wine round. And as you eat it and as you drink, might you remember and thank Jesus for all that he's done for you. That Jesus was not just that baby born for you at Christmas, but he grew up to live a perfect life. That he would die on the cross for you and rise so that you might have everlasting life. So we serve the elders first and then the elders will come round and they will serve you. Jesus Christ, what a privilege it is to know you and be known by you. We praise you, everlasting God, for all your ways are good and you are everlasting kind to us. Together as God's people, we've eaten the bread, symbolizing the body of Jesus on the cross as it hung there after being beaten and whipped, spat upon and mocked. And there you died in our place, Willingly taking our sins upon yourself, bearing the curse of God that should have been ours to bear. Together as the people of Jesus, we've drunk the wine symbolizing your blood poured out for us. As a life slipped from you, you hung there on the cross, even though you didn't deserve to die. For only you are perfect, only you are true, only you are holy in every way. But yet, out of your great love for us, you've done that. And we eat and we drink these symbols of that good news. And so send us out with that gospel resounding in our hearts, that we might be changed, to remember that whoever we are, we can be part of your family. That whatever we've done, our sins were forgiven 2,000 years ago on the cross. And so strengthen us to live through the trials of life. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus in every moment. Keep us from sin and evil. Where we have weak faith, may these symbols of bread and wine embolden us to live for you afresh. Where we have strong faith, may we be increasingly passionate about Jesus 
and all that he's done for us in all moments of life. For we pray as your people, trusting together in our Saviour and Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We close a great um, hymn of praise that um, is based on the words of Mary's song in uh, the earliest chapters of Luke, where she sings, Tell out my soul. Let us stand and sing, Tell out my soul. FM News.